As I see it, there are two challenges that are being overcome in our passage this morning. The things that divide us as human beings and our human addiction to power. When all of this coronavirus crisis first hit, one of the silver linings I saw at work, or at least I thought I saw at work, was that it seemed to me that people were a bit more united, like the phrase, we're in it together, actually meant something. Initially, there were all these beautiful stories of people working together and caring for one another, and I was, I was hopeful. Wouldn't it be nice if what we learned from all of this was that we human beings actually do need one another? Wouldn't it be nice if a good portion of, of the division in our world, our nation, would just sort of dissolve in the heat of this crisis? And while it's true that there are still some very caring and beautiful things going on in the world, I don't want to diminish that. It also appears that not even a global pandemic can soften our divisions, let alone dissolve them. We divide over politics and race and money. We divide over whether or not we're supposed to open our businesses and our churches. We divide over religion and even differences of opinion within the same religion. It is a sad part of the state of our human fallenness to separate ourselves from one another, to judge those different from us, and to think of ourselves as better than others. All in all, we, I, we love to play the judge in human affairs. How about you? We humans need help if we're going to overcome this penchant for judgmentalism and division. Even we humans who have come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we need help. Fortunately, God has given us that help. The good news of the gospel that we celebrate this morning comes to us from the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy. In the first chapter of that letter, Paul recalls his love for Timothy and Timothy's sincere faith. And then he reminds him that through the laying on of hands, not unlike what we're going to read about in today's passage, Timothy has received a gift, and by which he means the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul encourages Timothy to fan this gift into flame, for he says, The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And that's going to be our good news. The Spirit of God, the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. To that first challenge of division between people groups in the passage, it's important for us to note that by the time we get to Acts chapter 8, there has been a lot of history, a lot of water under the bridge between two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans. The bottom line, as John's gospel tells us in the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, is that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Or more literally, Jews don't even use the same dishes Samaritans use. Or we can recall Luke 9, 51-56, when Jesus sent messengers ahead of him to prepare his way to Jerusalem. They, they went to a Samaritan village, but the people there did not welcome him, we are told. And James and John asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus rebuked them for their racist views to say nothing of their warped understanding of how God felt about the Samaritans. And then John 8, 48, some Jewish accusers call Jesus a Samaritan and demon-possessed. And Jesus denies he's demon-possessed, but he says nothing about their racist remark, presumably because to him, being called a Samaritan wasn't an insult. No, as a rule, to put it mildly, Jews did not associate with Samaritans, but Jesus did. He chose to. He went out of his way to do so, and he even made one of them the hero in what may be his most famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Clarence Jordan, whom I've introduced you to before, the founder of the interracial Koinonia Farms community in the 1940s in the South, translated the Gospels into Southern dialect and referred to them as the Cotton Patch Gospels. 
In his translation of the parable of the Good Samaritan, he made the two religious leaders who passed the wounded man by on the road there, he made them into white men, while the Good Samaritan, the hero, was a black preacher. The suggestion in the original version of this parable, and in just about any modern-day retelling we have seen, is that division and hatred and judgmentalism are conquered by love and mercy. And then at the end of that parable in Luke chapter 10, Jesus instructs his hearers to go and do likewise, to show mercy to those, with whom, to those whom they consider enemies, to those whom they consider uh, not deserving of that mercy. These Jewish followers of Jesus are to boldly go where no self-respecting Jewish person would have ever gone before. So, a very important part of what is going on in this passage is a fairly giant leap of the mission from Judea and the people of Israel to the people of Samaria, the crossing of a formidable dividing wall. Fortunately, God has given us a spirit of love to help us. Here, the story of the book of Acts continues to follow the outline laid out in chapter 1. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem, those first disciples, to wait in Jerusalem until they had received the power of the Holy Spirit, which would then enable the good news about the kingdom of God to go throughout Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. Samaritans were people nearby, geographically speaking, but they were different. They were other, even enemies. Such was the division between Jews and Samaritans. Last week, the early Christians were persecuted at the beginning of chapter 8 and scattered, and a man named Philip landed in a Samaritan city where he proclaimed Jesus and performed miraculous sign, and Luke tells us there was great joy in that city. This week, we are still in Samaria with Philip. Chapter 8, verse 9. <clears throat> now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was... Someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Simon the Great was well known outside the New Testament as well. The second century Christian apologist Justin Martyr, writing later, said that Simon had a significant following even among the Samaritans living in Rome where people honored him as God and even had a statue dedicated to him. But Philip, who had been driving out evil spirits in the previous verses from last week's passage, Philip has his message has had an impact on Simon as well. Simon has come to believe Philip's message, and he who once had many followers now follows Philip everywhere. So here, the second challenge in this passage is introduced. The first challenge was the division between people groups that, if not addressed, would hinder the mission Jesus had given the apostles back in Acts 1. This second challenge has to do with power. It has to do with the human addiction to and the idolization of power. Simon is a sorcerer, and it would be easy for you and I to simply see his story as a bit of an anomaly. You know, that was then, this is now. We don't, we don't deal with sorcerers or the like now. What does this have to do with us? But Simon and his addiction to power is more connected to, us, connected to us than we might initially think. You see, this story is not so much about Simon's sorcery as it is about what his sorcery gives him. Followers, influence, power people who are enamored with him, people he can control. And we'll see in a moment that he, like perhaps any of us, is having a hard time letting all of that go. 
The joy that began to spread in the city after Philip first arrived back in verses 5 to 8, that joy has spread. More people are coming to believe. But then Philip sort of recedes into the background in this story. Jerusalem, where the apostles are, is sort of the headquarters of the early church, and they send representatives to check things out, apostles, to make sure everything was kosher in a sense. So verses 14 to 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of debate about what exactly is going on in this passage. Were these Samaritans Christians when they were baptized by Philip, or did that only happen once the Spirit came upon them? Well, let's keep in mind here that with this move into Samaria, phase two of the mission, according to Jesus in Acts chapter 1, is now engaged. Something new is on the horizon, and it needs attention. It needs ratifying, we might say. So the apostles, the original disciples, send Peter and John to oversee things. It's also important to note that this Philip is not the Apostle Philip. There are likely two Philips in the book of Acts, the Apostle and the one known here as Philip the Evangelist. We know this, uh, this is not the Apostle Philip because in chapter 8 verse 1 we are told that after persecution broke out, all except the Apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The Apostles were still in Jerusalem. So this Philip is a different one. So since God is on the move in this next phase of God's mission, it is important that representatives from the original apostles, Peter and John, the authority figures, come to Samaria and affirm that this is indeed the work of God. It gets their official stamp of approval. So to those who say that they don't like the organized religion, I truly understand what you mean, but it appears that from very early on, in some sense of that word, the Christian faith was organized. Second, this bit about them not having received uh, the Holy Spirit yet when, when they came to faith and were baptized. Are, are there two works of grace going on here? Many down through history have thought so, so much so that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that is prayed for as sort of a second step of discipleship in many Pentecostal and charismatic churches even today. Maybe What's actually going on is the realization that by taking this, this next step beyond the people of Israel proper, there's a special anointing of God's Spirit that is necessary. Maybe crossing this division between Jews and Samaritans and later Gentiles is going to take an extra measure of God's Spirit. Maybe this early on, the church was still learning some things about how God works, how the Spirit works. In fact, I'm, I'm certain of it. They're figuring this out. Now, I don't think this idea of a, of a baptism of the Holy Spirit or happening in this context, in this, this passage, means that these two works of God are always separate today. They may be at times, I suppose, but, but now they're both offered to us as, as initial steps of faith and belief. When we come to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. But perhaps for some of us, uh, as a, a, a second touch of God is, is necessary during a challenging season of life for us personally perhaps or, or maybe for some new phase of kingdom work and ministry that, that's ahead of us. In addition to the, the, the work of the Spirit is also important if we're going to get past our division and our judgmentalism. Again, at the time of Jesus and long before, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. They, they saw them as half-breeds who were religiously corrupt and were a bad influence. They wanted nothing to do with them. How long does it take you and I to come up with people in the world 
we want nothing to do with today. Earlier, as I mentioned, James and John, the very same John we see in Acts chapter 8, James and John wanted to call down fire upon the Samaritans. But there, the very one who wanted to call down fire on them is now laying hands on the ones he formerly wanted to destroy. He's praying that God's Spirit would come upon them and empower them for the kingdom life and the mission that await them. And that's, that's quite a transformation. That's quite a statement about the reconciling power of the Holy Spirit, too. Receiving and responding to the Spirit is no small thing when it comes to crossing the divisions that will hinder the mission. God has given us the help that we need. The Spirit God gave us gives us power and love and self-discipline. In fact, what we are about to see as Simon the Great takes center stage in the story is that those who have not yet received or responded to the Holy Spirit are not yet fully formed or even on their way to being fully formed or mature. Simon has come to know God. He has, in the words of our ECC Touchstones, experienced the welcome and presence of the kingdom of God in Philip's ministry. But he hasn't traveled very far along at all on that road to transformation. That is, he's saved, he's forgiven, he's in, as we like to think of these things. But being in, being forgiven, being saved is only the starting line. It's not the finish line. There's still a journey from mere curiosity about the Spirit to Christoformity, Christ formed in us in the Spirit. Verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon doesn't get it. And sometimes, depending on where we are in our own journey with Christ, we may not get it either. We may be in, we may be forgiven and saved, but still not able to see what God is up to or how best to do what God asks of us. That is, we may still be trying to do things in our own strength, clinging to power and control or living according to old patterns of, of doing life or church, and we're going to find that those patterns no longer work, just as Simon did. Or to put it another way, as Romans 12 puts it, we as followers of Jesus can still be conformed to the pattern of this world when what God wants for us, what God offers us, what God calls us to, is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Something far better. No, we may not be sorcerers, but we do love our power, and that power corrupts us. In an article in the Wall Street Journal, researcher Jonah Lehrer stated that once we near the top of the corporate ladder, we, we may be nice and polite on the way up, but once we near the top of that corporate ladder, we human beings start acting like beasts. His word, not mine. He writes, quote, As one business professor concluded, it's an incredibly consistent effect. When you give people power, they basically start acting like fools. They flirt in, uh, inappropriately. They, they tease in a hostile fashion and become totally impulsive. Some have even compared the feeling of power to brain damage, noting that people with lots of authority tend to, be, to, to, tend to behave like patients with a damaged orbitofrontal lobe, a brain area that's crucial for empathy and decision-making." So whether we are greedy televangelists, disgraced megachurch pastors, abusive controlling spouses, entitled bosses with corner offices, difficult co-workers, or simply someone who keeps trying to do things our own way rather than God's, if we are going to find healing and hope, we will need to wait on the Holy Spirit afresh and more fully engage the journey toward transformation and Christiformity. 
Christ's nature, Christ's character formed in us. That's what Christiformity means. I know it sounds like a made-up word, but to quote Thor in the Avengers, all words are made up. Or maybe as we as a, we as a congregation are, are facing new challenges in the current reality, and we need to wait on God's Spirit to receive insight and power, to, to experience the transformation necessary for the work and the mission from this point on. Fortunately, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, God has given us the power, the love, and the self-discipline we need. I have a very robust theology of the Holy Spirit, and I believe the Holy Spirit can meet us at the deepest part of our need, can meet you at the deepest part in your need. In my own life and experience as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor, this waiting on the gift of the Spirit isn't just a once-and-done experience. Now, by that, I don't mean that we start from ground zero or that the Spirit ceases to dwell in us. I mean that we need to renew our ability to listen to the Spirit. We need to renew our ability to listen and to respond to the Spirit. It's a discipline. It's really something I have to give myself to on a regular basis. It's something we, as a community of faith, have to give ourselves to as well. We, we choose uh, not to assume we know what's best, not to cling to our old ways of seeing and doing things, but to wait on God and to allow him to transform us and to transform our mission as we go. We need to see things differently than Simon does in the passage. Peter responds to Simon's request rather harshly, as Peter can sometimes do. Again, chapter 8, verses 20 to 24. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Simon the Great has been humbled. We do not actually know how he responded. He cried out that Peter would pray for him, and I assume Peter did so, but we don't really know what happened after that, do we? As I mentioned earlier, we have witness to Simon the Great's presence outside of our New Testaments. There is some evidence in ancient writings that the tension between Peter and Simon was, was not resolved here, and that Simon became a forerunner of an early heresy in the Christian church known as Gnosticism. But Acts 8 tells us nothing more. It simply leaves us with a question. What will you or I do in response to the presence of the Holy Spirit? Will we hold on to our old ways of living life? Will we grasp for power and control? Or will we wait on God's Spirit and the transformation that only God can bring? Will we, like those first apostles in Acts chapter 1 and 2, pull back and spend time in prayer, waiting for the movement of God's Spirit? For you and I are going to face the future. And if we're going to face it well, whether that, whether that be personal challenges or new societal realities or the mission of ECC, if we're going to do that well, we will need help. And the good news is that the Spirit of God gives us that help. The Spirit gives us power, love, and self-discipline to face the future. The power to step out in faith and see God do astonishing things. The love to cross whatever divides us from our fellow human beings. The self-discipline to cooperate with God, to yield to God, in the journey of our own transformation into Christiform people. 
How are we to respond to this good news of the gift that God has given us in his spirit, the promise of power, love, and self-discipline? I have three suggestions. There may be more. I have three suggestions, and they're all in your Bible app live event. And if you don't have it, it looks like this. And I'd love for you to go and get it, download it, and, and look for us in the, in the live events section. First, name those we'd normally rather avoid or criticize or attack than love and pray for. Name them, make a list, and pray for them. Pray for God's blessing on them. Pray for God's provision. And pray you will have the love and the power and the self-discipline necessary to cross whatever dividing lines get in your way and hinder God's mission. Pray for them rather than judge them. Second, spend time this week prayerfully reading over 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 11. Again, it's in your Bible app live event. Make some time, some quiet, some space. Read that passage out loud prayerfully and ask God to show you where in that list of things you have yet to experience transformation. There's some very clear instructions in 2 Peter chapter 1 on things you and I need to, quote, make every effort to add to our faith, to cooperate with God's Spirit in our own transformation. You know, if we don't want to be transformed, we won't be transformed. We need to cooperate with the Spirit. And if we, if we give ourselves to this practice, I believe God's Spirit will speak to us. As I said, I have a very robust theology of the Holy Spirit. And I believe he will give us a path forward. But it starts with prayer and listening to the Spirit. Finally, sign up for a half-hour slot in our 24-hour Ascension Day prayer vigil, which takes place from midnight this Wednesday, May 20th, through midnight this Thursday, May 21st. If you follow the communication card, sign up on the webpage or the link in your Facebook, on the Facebook page or the link in the Bible App Live event, then we will send you a link to sign up for a time slot. And once you sign up for that time slot, then, in a couple of days, we'll send you some instructions to help you in your prayer time. It's coming up this week. We believe that the good news of Jesus and the good news of life in the kingdom of God in the here and now as well as in the hereafter is for all people. And if we are going to live in the world in a way that nourishes and demonstrates the kingdom of God on earth, if we're going to boldly go where we might otherwise not want to go, then we're going to need God's help. We're going to need God's Spirit, not only God's Spirit residing in us, but God's Spirit actively leading, speaking, and guiding us as we learn to listen and respond. True, for the most part, dealing with sorcerers and the animosity between Jews and Samaritans is not what life looks like for us today. But we do still love power and control and getting our own way. We do still try to do things in our own strength. We, we are still always tempted to allow our minds and lives to be shaped by the patterns of this world instead of by the renewing of our minds. And we do still love to divide ourselves from those who are different than we are and judge them politically, religiously, ethnically, you name it. And if we are going to cross those divides, we will need the Spirit's help. Fortunately, God has promised and God has delivered on that promise. And he has given us the help we need. So let us begin by responding to the Spirit's presence and leading in our lives that we might know and experience the power and the love and the self-discipline we need to fully step into the kingdom life that God has made available to us. Would you pray with me as we close? Good and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for these, these pictures, these stories in the book of Acts that show us Lord, what life in the kingdom can look like. God, I pray for those hearing my voice and watching this right now. 
I pray, oh God, wherever we are in our own journeys of transformation, that you would help us to discover the steps we need to take to continue that journey toward Christiformity, and that we would call upon your spirit for your spirit's help. And I pray that where we are in terms of the divisions that we allow to invade our lives, the judgmentalism that, that might be more of who, uh, who we are than, than we want it to be, Lord, I pray that you would soften us. I pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, that we could take steps, Lord God, to pray for these people, to love them rather than judge them. I pray for that uh, for us uh, for, uh, as households, as individuals, and I pray that for us as a congregation. And may we, Lord God, become the people you want us to be, the kingdom people, the spirit-led, spirit-filled, spirit-anointed people so that your word can go forth, so that your kingdom can grow and be nourished. And may you receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.